Heavenly Father, we just want to invite you into this place. God, worship was so sweet today. God, your presence is so precious. God, that song we sung today, God, there is no shadow you won't light up. God, there's no mountain you won't climb up and there's no lie that you won't tear down. God, let's just, we just want to dwell in that, God. There's no lie that you won't tear down. So God, today as we explore your heart for missions, as we share good stories and, and, and bring the word, Father, Lord, your word is designed to tear down lies in our lives, God. It has the power to transform us. God, we believe in that and we own it, Father, and that's why we worship, God. These are not just songs we sing, God, because it's, it's true. Lord, they're truths we proclaim to you. And so, God, we ask that those truths, Father, would not just be from our mouths, God, but would resonate deeply in our hearts. And, Father, that through your word today, uh, God, that and through testimony, God, that we'd be set free into greater and greater measures of faith and freedom in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. To frame this conversation, because... If you've tracked with my stories in Papua New Guinea and, and you've seen Kaylee's photos and whatever updates you get, it's really easy to think that when we're on mission that we're just on a really long vacation because what you're seeing is the highlights in between the times that we're dirty and doing ministry, okay? So we have to frame the reality of what we're going out to go and do, all right? So don't think these are just prolonged uh, vacations and that we're just kicking it up in, in Nepal and India and in the islands, okay? Those are just the highlights, because we, we, we dealt with real things. I have never seen a kid faint from malaria until I was in Papua New Guinea. I've never seen so many people blind. I've never seen so many people who couldn't hear. And I've never seen so many people poor and have skin diseases that could be cured just by soap. Okay, so that's the context in which you're going to be seeing these things. But you're, what you're going to see in those videos is you're going to see amazing joy from these people. Because despite all of that, they love Jesus and, and, and they want to serve him. My name is Victor. I come from Papua New Guinea. I love my country. It is so beautiful and so diverse. We are known as the land of the unexpected, the least explored country on earth. We are made up of many different tribes, each with their own traditions. Me and my people live in villages. We live in high mountains, jungles, rivers and the coast. Though we have much beauty, we are facing very big healthcare challenges. Many of our women die in childbirth. We are one of the highest rates in the world. TB has been declared as a national emergency. Our children are dying of preventable and treatable diseases. Many of us will never see a dentist in our lifetime. Hundreds of thousands of people have low vision or no vision at all. Makasi had been blind for 10 years. Her and her family heard about the ship being in their area and paddled in their canoe for two weeks to see if there was anything that we could do for her eyesight. After a 45 minute operation, her sight was restored to perfect vision. She saw her three children for the very first time that day. She went from someone that was downcast, that had no hope in her face, to someone that had light in her eyes, someone that had hope and excitement for her future. It's so amazing what happens when the ship first comes into a village. All the men, the women, 
the children they all gather along the the shores and they start singing, start dancing. The ship is more than bringing healthcare. Um, it's it's really bringing life and really giving them hope for the future. On board the ship we have a day surgery unit, a laboratory, dental clinic and lecture theatres which allows us to bring really specialised care right there to the people in the community and the villages. A helicopter will be on board which will allow us to do emergency transfers as well as to even reach further inland to some of those places that are needed specialist care. The training element of the medical ship is very, very important. What that does, especially our health workers working in remote settings, and those difficult settings, it empowers them, it strengthens them. It gives them that uh, someone does care. I've been involved now for over 30 years and to be on this journey for so long and seeing so much change and now we are positioned to be able to help so many people. The greatest resource in Papua New Guinea is its people and as we have the privilege of working alongside Papua New Guineans, we can see incredible things happen. My dream, I want to be a nurse. I want to help my people in this district and country. One of the things I love most about the work of the ship is seeing young Papua New Guineans engaged. Seeing young, passionate uh, Papua New Guineans from urban centres able to come out into the rural context of building their nation. When I think of the message I want to live, it's like me liking life. I want life and for you and for me is to have life and live it to the fullest. We look despair in the eye and we say you do not have the final word. We're people who have our fingerprints on a torch of hope. That's Papua New Guinean fingerprints, Australian fingerprints, fingerprints from all around the world that press forward because we want to live. So arise, holy sons of his land. Let us sing of our joys to be free. Papua New Guinea. So I, I get misty-eyed every time I see that. Um, every day that we were there, we were in a different village, which was just such a unique experience. Um, but it was an incredible journey, incredible time. A lot of those videos that you saw, a lot of the people that we engaged with um, were just absolutely amazing. Uh, we saw miracles happen both medically and miraculously every day. Um, it's just the way it was. One of our teams, they were the first white visitors into the village in 100 years. Um, so the lengths in which we were going into Papua New Guinea to reach these people were areas that the government wasn't even willing to go themselves or couldn't. Um, and so a lot of that that you see is just like, it seems like one crazy adventure, but man, once we got to the village, it was all hands on deck. It was sharing the gospel. It was visiting shut-ins. It was praying with people. It was, uh, we had clinics that were operating, so they would, they would do, um, doctors would look at people and kind of give them an idea of what they need to do. So a lot of times it's just hydration, honestly. Um, we had physiotherapists there to help with working and work smart and not, you know, mess up your body. And all sorts of stuff. My, my team, I was leading a team that was uh, village development. So it was a lot of uh, getting down and dirty with kind of just the, the local leaders. So village chiefs, uh, church leaders, um, pastors, teachers, principals, all sorts of people. And we would just talk about strategic development within their, 
communities, how to grow the villages, what are the top three issues in the villages, how to address them both spiritually and practically, um, just through like the felt needs, because spiritual is practical, so don't hear that I'm saying spiritual is unpractical. Um, but and then be able to just run discipleship training and, and to sit down with these people and, 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 and share the word of God with them. Uh, so it was, it was absolutely fantastic journey. But now we're going to transition into the Word. If you want to see more photos, hear more things, um, shameless plug, gregshepler.com. There is a blog. You can follow my whole journey through all this, and I'll continue doing that on my next journey forward. That next picture should be a picture of Papua New Guinea. So I'll just give you an idea really quick. We were, um, I guess I can work. We were there at the tip area of Papua New Guinea near Port Moresby. We went around the edge. We went all the way up this area here. We visited this little island, and then we went about halfway back, and then we flew to Australia. That gives you an idea of the scope in which we ended up going on the, on the ship, which was just absolutely fantastic. All right, embrace the wilderness. So God, I want to I invite you again, Lord, that your word would be alive to us in our hearts this morning. God, would your spirit just flow through us? God, would your spirit just be alive and quicken your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Embrace the wilderness, not because I was in Papua New Guinea, not because we are out in the bush, not for anything other than wilderness times in our lives. This is the whole premise. And I should start with this. How many of you, without giving you a definition of how I'm defining wilderness, but what you know of scripture and about your own lives, how many of you would say that you are in or have been in a season of wilderness? Hoker smokers. Jesus is good because that's why I came up with this message. Of those who had their hands up, how many of you feel like are in a wilderness season right now? Okay, this is good. Then this message is for you. Everyone else, fall asleep. It's all good. Spiritual nap. Jesus will speak to you what you need, okay? But I'm going to speak to those who need this message, okay? So here's the deal. Wilderness. It's very interesting. When I was leaving for Papua New Guinea, the Lord specifically told me, you're in a wilderness season. And I was like, God, I don't want to be in a wilderness season. I don't like it. I really don't like it. In fact, most people before I left, man, before I left to go to Papua New Guinea, to give you a snapshot, enough time has passed, my life was a wreck. A lot of people don't really know this. I was in a state of depression that I have never experienced before in my life. Uh, My house was constantly at 38 degrees because I didn't want to pay for heat. I slept through the winter in that kind of cold on a couch in a sleeping bag because I didn't want to sleep in my lonely room that didn't have any decorations. And that's how I spent months of my life before leaving, before God got a hold of me. And I said, Lord, something has got to give. I am not a big fan of instructing people to throw out a fleece, but I threw out a fleece. And I said, God, something has got to give. In the messenger conference, the summit that we're, uh, our church is a part of, I go there, I'm like, Lord, I don't get it. I'm, I'm so close to being done with you. It's not even funny. And he is like, it's not funny. Watch this. And so in a time, I don't, I don't get uh, dreams. I don't dream like Kaylee does. Kaylee gets these vivid things. I just get word pictures, right? I get very vivid constructions of words that my brain translates into a picture, but I never see a picture. It's weird. It is no picnic up in my brain. <laughs> but it's how it works. And so during our prayer time, when I'm like, God, I want to be set free. I want to encounter you in a new way. I was like, God, you're going to give me a picture. And that's how I'm going to know. Right? So during this prayer time, this guy's praying for me. And he goes, what I want you to do is I want you to ask God 
to show your mind how he sees you. And I was like, here comes the picture. No picture. Just a word picture. So when he asked me, what'd you see? I said nothing. Because I was, I was like, nope, God, you had your chance. You blew it. We're done. No more. I threw it out there. There's still due somewhere. Um, so I threw it out there. And then he goes, okay, ask God to show your heart how he sees you. Huh. And in that moment, I put my hand on my heart and I said, God, how do you view me? I have never had this. I, I don't even know how to explain it, so don't ask me the theology of it. I'm just telling you my testimony. If it causes a wedgie, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I felt like my hand was going to go through me because I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. I felt so light. I felt like everything off of me, everything the last years that had been going on totally melted away because God was doing something so deep in my heart that it was beyond words. It was beyond anything I've ever experienced. And I wept and I cried and I was ugly and snot and tears and every orifice of my body was probably doing something. No, that's gross. Um, <laughs> but I felt good. And the person, there's two people praying for me and I, and this girl who was praying for me says, you know, I got this image in my brain when we were praying for you. She told me the image. It was the exact image that I had as a word picture. Because God will use the giftings that you have. That's the importance of teaming in the body. I'm not gifted in my thought life to have pictures, but this lady was. So he gave me the words and she gave her the picture. And that created confirmation which allowed me to trust that when God said, wilderness time, I said this time, I said, okay. I don't like it, but I trust you because of what you've just done. I trust you. Now, this may sound like it's just my story. I promise you this is all throughout scripture. Um, my favorite is Moses at the burning bush. Literally about to go into the greatest wilderness story known to man, Right? We all have our wilderness times. And wilderness typically sounds like a very desolate, sometimes dark, sometimes scary, and uncertain place. I would imagine Moses going out there, it was a, a dark, scary place. It was probably difficult. didn't know what was going to happen. It's interesting when you look up this word wilderness in Scripture, there's a Greek word for it. I don't know it. But I do know that, according to the concordance, it shows up in many passages and only really one of them is translated wilderness. And that's, that's actually a Hebrew word that actually translates as wilderness. But all the other times throughout our, our scripture that we have, it typically says desolate place or desert. But it's the same word for wilderness. So I started researching these. This is pretty much our condition. God has always had a plan to make us in his image. Everyone born post-Genesis 3, which is the fall, right? is living less than he or she is originally designed. The entire meta-narrative of Scripture is the length in which God comes to meet us, right? A literal wilderness, because if you imagine, they were in a lush garden, they get sent out somewhere. The original wilderness is probably this moment when Adam and Eve are sent out from the garden, and there's a brokenness connection with God. That which has been lost is more than just people, it's a way of living, 
It's not just lost people. We have actually lost in a post-Genesis 3 world, we have lost a way of living and seeing the world. We, we don't know what the way originally was, but we know it was different because Adam and Eve walked with, the God, with God in the garden. But later, after we're separated from God, he tells Moses, I can't show you myself. I had to put a rock in front of you. So we've lost a way of being able to see and know God. And our life, everything that happens in it as we respond in obedience to him, is a restoration of that way of seeing. And I will tell you that God's heart and desire is always to make himself known to you. It's interesting. God's desire is to make himself known to us. That's what we talk about as this restoration of our identity and all these things. Sometimes God wants to reveal something about himself that can only be done in a wilderness season. Hagar flees Sarai and is in the desert at a well, the angel of the Lord shows up and he tells her, and I believe the angel of the Lord, where you're at theologically, um, is kind of a, a pre-image of Christ because she recognizes him as Lord. Very interesting. But in that moment, she says, I now know, because she, there's an announcement from this angel that says, you're pregnant. And she says, I now call you this because I know you as a God who sees. That word there, she was in a wilderness place. What happened in a wilderness place? She revealed a revelation of the character of God. When you see each time that the disciples and Jesus go out into a desert place, both times when he's feeding the multitudes, it's wilderness that they go out to. In fact, one of them is kind of funny because the disciples have just gotten back from doing all these amazing things. They've been sent out. They've been called back. It says that they were processing things with Jesus. And then because they were kind of like tired, like, hey, let's go to a desert place. Let's go into the wilderness. They get on a boat. People know where they're going. So all the people of the town go around to this desert place and they're already there by the time they get across. Which is funny because if going there by feet was faster, I don't know why they didn't do that in the first place. But Jesus is funny. They get there. They're in a wilderness place. And what happens? There's a miracle feeding the multitudes of people. Now we see a revelation of Christ, of Jesus and his character as one who provides. This happens twice in scripture that he feeds the thousands. And it's funny because the disciples, and this is me all the time, but in, particularly in Mark 8, it talks about they get back in the boat after they fed the multitudes and the disciples are like, oh man, we only have one loaf of bread. Like literally just had this multitude experience, gets in a boat and the word that they have one loaf of bread and Jesus, bless his heart. Um, <laughs> right, I, sorry, I was on a, a YWAM base with some Southerners and Southerners are the best because they can add bless your heart to the meanest things and you still feel blessed. <laughs> that baby is so ugly, bless his heart. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. So I imagine Jesus is in that moment. He's like, bless their heart, but he's like, silly disciples. Um, and he, he perceiving and knowing what they're talking about, he just looks at them and he goes, are you guys talking about the lack of food you have? And they're kind of like, yeah. He goes, okay, when I fed the thousands, I fed the 4,000 this first time, how many baskets did you have left? 
don't remember, it was like 12 or 7, one of those holy numbers. And I don't quite remember. And they're like, okay. And he goes, now, when I did it again, how many baskets do you have left? And there are still leftovers. And eventually he looks at them and goes, when, when will you understand? When will you get it? Even the leftovers of Jesus is more than enough. And yet scripture tells us that we serve a God of abundance. So we're never just going to have leftovers. It wasn't like there was one loaf for each of the disciples. There were baskets full. It took a wilderness experience for that to happen. For that character of God to come for them to know. And even then they missed it. Right? It's really easy to laugh at the Israelites. I shouldn't say laugh. It's a terrible situation. But we look at them and we say, man, how did they like fall so far away from God? It's like, look at our own lives. Jesus does stuff all the time that blows our minds. And the next day we wake up and we return to our vomit and we're caught in the same sin. Sometimes to get that breakthrough that you want in your life requires a deeper revelation that can only come through a wilderness season. And then you will really, truly understand it in your life. And yet, how many of us resist those seasons? Me. I just told you, I was like, God, I don't like this. I was talking to a friend and they, I was telling them my journey of my time in YWAM in Papua New Guinea. And they asked me, Do you, are, you, are you enjoying the process? Six months ago, I would have said no. I mean, absolutely not. God is mean. He's, I'm an ant. He's got a magnifying glass. I'm just not liking this. Uh-uh. But now after a wilderness experience, one that God predecessed with trust and pressing into it, every single day there was this, I had a, a teammate, her name was Camille, and uh, every day on those ships that you saw, the small boats, you know, we're, we're sitting on the side, it's cruising, we're just holding on for dear life in the ocean. And like going to the villages and coming back to the villages, I would just look at her and I'd go, Camille, I'm living the dream. And I was. Man, I was having such a good time. But here's what I meant in that. It wasn't something that I could dream up because I would have never expected that I'd be in Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea didn't exist in my world vocabulary because I did really poorly in history. And ask Matt, we, we cruised along the same world history class and if it wasn't for me copying off his papers, I would have never passed. Papua New Guinea didn't exist until I was actually in Papua New Guinea. Okay, and even then I was like blown away. I thought huts and tribes and things like that was Africa. No, it's Papua New Guinea as well. If you didn't catch that 800 languages in Papua New Guinea, God is going to get an amazing harvest of culture from that nation. Because when it says every tribe, tongue, and nation, that nation alone is going to fill the heavens with songs of praise. I can say that enthusiastically because of this wilderness experience. I'm living the dream, not my dream. Do you realize that God has dreams for you? 
wilderness times take away from us so that we can step into the dream God has for us. Why was Paul and the other disciples able to praise Jesus in prison after being beaten? They were living the dream. We don't think of it that way. Something happens when your dream fades away and you step into the dream of Jesus for you. All of a sudden it produces joy. That surpasses understanding. Huh. It's not our dream. It's not how we understand it. When we live Jesus' dream, understanding goes away and we just have joy. We have the likeness of Christ. The presence of God goes with us. People are healed. Churches are planted. People are blessed. Wilderness experiences are designed to shake things free. Whatever your wilderness time is, I want to encourage you in this. It's counterintuitive. Lean into it. Lean into the wilderness seasons of your life. Because you're trying to understand how this can be good. But it's beyond understanding. You're not happy now, Lord, this stinks, is my perspective of what God is trying to accomplish in me. But leaning in allows us to say, good. Now I want to show you something about me. This verse used to bother me so much. Is it okay if I keep going? Thank you. Uh, island culture. We'll be here till three. Um, <laughs> lunch is not provided. Uh, find your own coconuts. Um, that was probably the best part. Church has literally lasted forever. When we would leave, we'd leave services, we'd show up as a team to a church, and they'd like do worship, and they're like, oh, why am you preach today. Like, shoot. Right? And then all of a sudden, it's like till three o'clock. Um, anyway, these wilderness seasons, in designing that, beyond understanding, this one verse always bothered me. And, and this is, I, I'm going to give it right out to, to Matt and Andrea um, because they're awesome. And, and they actually really blessed me. I was talking to Matt this week, and what I'm about to share actually came from their pastor and their church. I can't take credit until I've used it three times. But, but this was already in the works. This is how God works because I was coming up with this message. Matt calls me. He says something that's like so on point with the message. I'm like, I'm sharing that. I don't care whose it is. It's happening. But here's the deal. Moses, right before the greatest wilderness time, this verse used to always bother me. It said, God's anger burnt against Moses. I always wondered how that could happen. Why is God angry at Moses in this, experience, in this moment? And if you look at the dialogue that Moses is having, it's burning bush, great encounter with God, sandals off. Oh my goodness, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit is here. And then there's instruction, right? You're going to go to Pharaoh. Now, paraphrased, it's a little bit like, you're going to go to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, well, but what if Pharaoh doesn't? He goes, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And then God responds, says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send plagues. I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to do all these things. And then Moses is like, yeah, but what if he doesn't respond that way? Like, what's, what's the sign that I'm going to give him? And he's like, well, what's that you got in your hand? Like, oh, well, it's a staff. And he'll throw that down. It turns into a snake, and all this really awesome stuff happens. And he picks it back up. He's like, okay, so all I need, right, what we take from this, all you need to respond to obedience is what you have. I will tell you this. Sometimes you probably have too much. Sometimes you're inhibited to respond in obedience because you have too much. You can translate that however you want. I'm not going to talk to you about whether you have too much stuff or you have too much spiritual baggage. 
That's for you and the Lord to work out. Okay? But he, all he needed was what he had. So after this whole time of Moses saying like, okay, I got the game plan. I get it. Moses then focuses on himself because he's out of excuses. Well, I'm not really eloquent in my speech. This is a lordship issue. This is a lordship issue. There used to be this diagram that was like a chair and it would have like an S on it for self. This is the throne of your heart. And sometimes there's not even anything existent on the floor. It's just you. Sometimes there's a little L in the picture that's like a little tiny lord, right? This is like Jesus. He's actually subservient to you. Other times, it's Jesus on the throne. You get this L on the, on the chair and self is small. That's what we're looking for. Lordship is not just about acknowledging Jesus as Lord, not just about talking about him as Lord, not just praising him as Lord, because honestly, some of the greatest liars in the world are those here on a Sunday morning worshiping God. Because what we sing and how we live are often drastically different. It's, it's a hard thing to reconcile, but see, lordship is not just about the position of Jesus on your heart. It's about your relationship to him on your heart. Lord can still be here and you can still not like it. And there will be a day that is coming that every knee is going to bow and there are going to be some people on that day are not going to like it. Let that sink in. It's about a relationship with God as Lord, not just acknowledging him, there have been many kings and tyrants that are recognized as leaders. We don't like them. So when you look at your own heart, it's your relationship with him as Lord. So Moses is having this lordship issue, not fully recognizing God. I think he's actually starting to. This is what I believe happened in that moment. I may be way left field on this and you may not like me. You may wonder where on earth I get this. I don't know. Okay. So again, if I'm ruffling some feathers, we'll talk about it. I mean, honestly, I don't mean that flippantly, but like, this is how I believe what happened. Moses is raised in a pretty affluent culture, raised by pretty rich people in Egypt, has some of the highest schooling. It is undoubtful to me that he is not eloquent. Even if you say, well, he had a speech impediment. We, we don't totally know that. What I think happened is that he saw himself in light of God and realized he was inadequate. And he's trying to come up with some excuses. He had to turn to himself because he had nowhere else to go. This is where the point is going towards. Sometimes when we are leading into a wilderness experience, you're plopping yourself down and you're looking at self or you're asking for clarity from God. Moses exhausted his ability for clarity from God because God was very clear. I'm sending you, hello, this staff is a snake and now it's not. I'm with you. This is what I'm going to do. I've given you the game plan. And Moses is like, that's awesome, but I don't speak good. What? If I picked up a snake and it turned into a stick, I'd be leading the parade. <laughs> Let's go, Israel. Right? It would have been awesome. Moses looks at himself. Sometimes what you're looking for probably more often than anything, is you're not looking for clarity. God's looking for trust. We are often asking for clarity when we're on the precipice of a wilderness experience and God is saying, I've given you all that you need. You need to trust me. Lean in. 
push in. Because this is what happens. After Moses looks at himself, God's anger burned against him. This is what I think happened. He goes, I, Moses, holy Moses. If you knew what I was about to show you about myself, if you knew how big I am, if you knew what I've had planned, I just told you part of it. But watch how I'm going to provide for you in the desert. God was always going to provide for the Israelites in the desert. Always. Whether it was going to take three weeks or 40 years, he was always going to provide for him in the desert. And and God's like, I want to do this. I want to show you. But you're resisting the wilderness call. You're resisting me. That's the kind of anger that I think God is showing in that moment. And sometimes when we resist these wilderness times, we have God's anger burning against us because we're sitting there saying, Lord, I just want some more clarity. God, would you, would you give me a picture? Because I don't think in pictures. God's like, hello. Watch what I'm about to do. I want this to be an encouragement to you guys. It, it defies everything. When you're in a wilderness time really experiencing God, you'd be amazed. You look at scripture and you see some tough things that Jesus says, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm there. I promise you, at the end of leaning into a wilderness experience, it won't even matter. When I was in Papua New Guinea, I lost both my grandmothers. I knew that when I left here, when I preached in October, my grandma was here, and I knew that when I said goodbye to her, it was going to be the last time I was going to see her. That was something that I settled in my heart. It was really amazing. I wish I had the video here. That happened, and I get the, got the news. I'm bummed out about this, and I'm like, you know, I could fly home. I could arrange flights to be back. My dad said, stay mission true. I was like, okay. The next day, we get to this village. It's like two football fields long that we have to walk up from the moment we put our feet on the soil. From 400 feet away, the entire tribe is gathered. They've made this palm gateway to enter their village. Kids are in the trees, shaking them like giant pom-poms. And you can hear them singing and worshiping in their language. I mean, from the moment we get off the boat, so we're like walking in, we're feeling pretty good. They're singing, we get up there. They're singing, they're throwing flowers at us. And God just spoke to my heart. He goes, your grandmother is listening to the same language worship me at the gates of heaven as you're standing at the gates of this village hearing worship in native languages. Beyond understanding, I said, God, that was so cool that you did that. I had an option to not come to the village today, but I chose to. And God, you blessed me with this encounter. My other grandma passes away two weeks later. Very tragic, very sudden. And I'm like, Lord, this doesn't make sense. I'm on mission, serving you. Why is this happening? At the end of that day, it was a Friday. It was our very last day. And on the very last day of outreach, we had this big celebration. I mean, it's like decked out. White linens, beautiful glass, good meals. It's a, everyone dresses up. We recount our numbers and, and what happened those weeks. And I stood in the galley area of the, 
uh, or the lounge area of the ship. I looked out of this beautiful banquet and the Lord said, today, like your grandma is going to feast in heaven. There's a banquet set for you guys. And she's joining. She's RSVP'd. She's here, baby. God is so cool. God is so cool. I could have aborted mission. I could have done all sorts of things. The Lord made it so clear. When Jesus says, go out to the nations and don't take any cloak or anything extra with you, he's going to provide. When he says, hey, you want to follow me? By the way, foxes and birds have homes. I don't. So, uh, you coming? That's like the ultimate wilderness invite. Hey, y'all, I got nothing. You want to come? Yeah. Lean into that. Lean into that. Because what you're going to be met with, I promise you, is going to blow your mind. It's going to be more than you can ever imagine. Allow wilderness times. God was always going to protect you, provide for you, and lead for you in those times. It's the God we serve. It's designed for us to be more like him. And when we realize that, that allows us to persevere where we think we can't. It's tough to view scripture and be like, oh, I'm not there. I'd ask, I'd say, how did you do in your last wilderness experience? Was it three weeks or 40 years? Are you still there? I don't know. Is this making sense? That's my inquiry. I want you guys to look at your lives. Look back. I don't know if it's a Dave Beerianism or whatever, right? It's just one of those, if you're having a hard time, go back to the last thing the Lord asked you to do and have you done it. It's an obedience thing. Sometimes it's a lordship thing. God, you asked me to do something, but I really don't like it. That's, chances are if the Lord's asking you to do something and you don't like it, it's probably a wilderness invitation. Most likely. Way, way, way over time. So Heavenly Father, while we're going to do something so counterintuitive, we want to thank you for the wilderness. Put it in our hearts, God, to be excited to encounter you. May we come to know you more deeply as you call us into places that are uncertain. Father, if it is an area of our life where certainty is not what we're to seek, but trust, God, would you convict us in the name of Jesus Christ because your conviction is so loving. And God, if it's a time for us to sit down and ask for clarity, to wait on you, Lord, reveal that as well. But God, may there be no room for the enemy to confuse these two in the name of Jesus Christ. Be with our hearts. God, may we walk into the fullness of who you are. May you reveal your likeness to us in all that we do, in good times and bad. And God, quite honestly, would you just blow our minds with how big you are? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.